0: Take the time to call Transformations Treatment Center for the answers, 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725, or go online to TransformationsTreatment.Center. Calling us from Texas, we have Erica Unberhagen. Erica is a former law enforcement officer, and right now she is a, what's the terminology that the correct term to use for what you do and your actual position?
1: I am a dual therapist uh, with Warrior's Heart. I am, so I am a licensed chemical dependency counselor, and I am also a licensed master of social work undergoing clinical supervision right now. So I treat first responders and military veterans for um, substance abuse issues and also uh, mental health co-occurring disorders PTSD generalized anxiety disorder uh, depression etc
0: it's a huge problem with our military community it's a huge problem with all of our first responders our firefighters our corrections officers dispatchers in particular our law enforcement officers I don't know of anybody that does a career in law enforcement that comes out unscathed totally
1: yeah and you know there's an interesting side note to that 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 really kind of frames just how large scale this issue is uh, and has been Um, there. So mental health clinicians, therapists operate out of something called the DSM-5. It's actually the the diagnostic manual for the different mental health disorders. Uh, First responders are mentioned specifically in the diagnostic criteria. Um, And that's almost unheard of with any other mental health disorder out there.
0: That's actually very unusual. That's the first time I've heard that. Is that a fairly recent development or in the last few years?
1: Nope, this has this has been a fact uh, since the DSM-5 came out, which, um, don't quote me on this, but I believe was around 2012,
0: 2013. Well, when you get to be as old as I, America, that's fairly recent. Now, with 2012, uh, yeah, 2013, far. not that far away. Uh, <laughs> at least it doesn't seem like it. I started in policing in 1980. Uh, mm-hmm. When did you start? I started in 1990. Okay, and tell us... Uh, from start to finish, a bird's eye view your career, and then we'll go to specifics later on.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I actually started out as a police explorer. So, I was that little kid that used to go riding out with the police officers, and uh, just absolutely fell in love with the profession. I knew at a fairly young age, still in my teenage years, that this was this was my calling. Uh, this was what I was going to be doing. So, um, I went from that. I went to work for uh, Bell County, uh, the Bell County Jail. I wasn't old enough to be a police officer yet, Uh, so um, at 18 years old, uh, I went to work as as a jailer and and actually stayed with Bell County right up until I was old enough to get into the police academy. Went into the police academy, got hired by the Harcourt Police Department, first as a reserve officer, and uh, then not long after that, I went full-time and was there for 14 or 15 years. Um, my math has never been my strong suit, but um, a considerable amount of time in the profession.
0: Well, thank you for your service. It's very much appreciated. I, I, first thing that stuck out in my head, the Explorers, You know, I, they didn't have that when where I grew up. <laughs> At least I didn't know right. about it. And I, I developed a calling for law enforcement, I say, later in life. It wasn't until I was in high school. I went to a seminary. I thought I wanted to be a priest. And then, mm-hmm. for many different reasons, that calling, that vocation was not for me, but policing was right away. Well, that's my second choice. Um, so I wasn't familiar with the whole Explorer thing. That's basically like scouts that do law enforcement, correct?
1: Yeah. At uh, sixteen years old, I was a card carrying female member of the Boy Scouts uh, of America, and it gave me an opportunity to just really go out there, ride with the officers, see what they uh, see what they they, they do. Um, how they interact with the community. Um, I have some issues in my own childhood uh, that really created that that drive for for service. Uh, one of the things that um, I believe I may have even said it in my board. You know, you get that that standard question: Why law enforcement? <laughs> why do you want to be a police officer? And I said, I want to help other kids understand that they can be better than the circumstances that they came from.
0: And that's a and powerful that's driving force. For that. That, a lot of people. In the service industries, firefighters, EMTs, corrections officers, police officers, military, they come from issues in the past. And and some degree that, and I'm not getting psychiatric here. I'm not an analyst. I'm just an old street cop. A lot of those issues drove them to want to help other people. Would that be a fair assessment for you?
1: Absolutely. I think when you go through um, difficulties in life, um, especially at an early age, but at any age really, what that does is it, it creates empathy uh, because you, you, you gain more understanding of the human condition through your own experiences.
0: Absolutely. I agree with you 100%. And this is one of the things I do take exception with. And I see it quite often in social media. People say they became a cop because they were bullied when they were a kid and they want to get even. Well, you know, it, kind of, that kind of really rubs me the wrong way because it, it, it almost makes it sound as if there's a, a malevolent motivation for those who went through that. And that's not been the case, at least not what I've experienced.
1: That's really not. And, you know, there's, there's so here's the thing truth is subjective, right? And. Is there a nugget of of truth in that assumption? Will kids that get bullied go into law enforcement? There is a nugget of truth in it, but it's all about perspective. Kids that get bullied don't get into, and I'm speaking in general terms. The majority of kids that go end up going into law enforcement uh, or any other of the, the first responder services. Uh, they do have that deeper empathy because of their own experiences getting bullied, having you know um, their their peers. Uh, Treat them in a bad way, Uh, so that empathy is already there, and I think it's it's through difficulties and hard times that humans are typically driven into these professions. But it's not to get even. I think that's where the disconnect is. Yeah, it's to help the other ones that are still experiencing wrongs at the hands of other members of society.
0: Very well put. Uh, I want to quickly go into something you said. And I find it hard to wrap my hands around this idea or my thought around this idea. The 18 years old, you were a corrections officer. I can't imagine being 18 and working in a jail.
1: Yeah, it was quite uh, quite an experience. But, you know, I I learned some really valuable lessons. And and they're they're lessons that I'm grateful for to this day. It it taught me uh, non-judgment when there's a lack of understanding. I went into that, of course, at 18 years old, um, terrified, I'll be honest with you, but I knew that it was a good way to get my foot in the door to eventually a- accomplish my, my mission. So what I learned working in that jail at 18 years old it, it was a really valuable lesson, actually several of them, one of which is never, never judge a book by its cover, right? So that kind of took my blinders off with that.
0: We're talking with Erica Unberhagen. There's only one official Facebook page. What you do. You do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Click like and follow. There you'll find updates about upcoming episodes of the radio show. You can contact me. We also find unique, one of a kind editorials and news articles. That is our Facebook page, Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Be sure to click like and follow. We'll see you there. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. Don't go anywhere. I promise you, we'll be right back. Transformation's Treatment Center provides a comprehensive range of treatments for addiction, substance abuse, co-occurring mental health disorders, and PTSD. Transformation's Treatment Center has a nationally acclaimed Veterans and First Responders Treatment Program, offering rehabilitation and holistic treatment for all those suffering from substance abuse problems. Law enforcement, firefighters, veterans, and all first responders receive the dedicated and highly specialized treatment they need at Transformations. Their program features first responders and veterans therapists, helping first responders and veterans. Transformations Treatment Center. Call 888-991-9725. That's 888-991-9725. Online at transformationstreatment.center. Center. Turn our conversation with Erica, and I'm not going to even try to pronounce her last name because I have this tendency to brutalize people's pronunciations of names, and I don't want to do that. It embarrasses me, and well, it's not the best thing for them. Erica, thanks so much for being a guest on the show. My pleasure. Going back to before we went to break, you were talking about uh, being 18 and working in jail, and one of the things I tell people all the time, I, I say this quite often, in, in most jails and prisons, the population, you have a lot of people, a lot of people on earth had 10 bad minutes of their life, they made one bad decision. Not yep. necessarily horrible people. Then you had people in jail or prison that did things under the influence of alcohol and or drugs they would never do, sober. And then you have a very small percentage who are extreme, hardcore, violent career criminals. Is that fair mm-hmm. assessment?
1: Absolutely, that's a great assessment. Yeah, it's really a microcosm for, for the larger society when you think about it. It is Got people from all walks of life and all types of experiences. So yeah.
0: So when you say you don't judge a book by its cover, just because a guy is convicted for murder, and I'm not I'm not downplaying that. No. I've met many people who were great people that that had a bad reaction, a bad moment, and and made a poor decision, and wound up doing life for for murder. And I'm not Mm -hmm. saying they, they, we're not the ones we're talking about on television and these shows we watch or movies. I'm talking about a guy who, in a bar, someone said something wrong, they got in a fight, next thing you know, they knocked the guy out and he's dead. That's just a, a brief example. So some of those people are not horrible people. And that's, I think, is a great way of describing my experience in law enforcement. Even the criminals we arrested, or the people you had to arrest for for criminal activity, the vast majority of them were not bad people. They didn't give you a hard time.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. It doesn't it doesn't matter really what segment of society you can you can assign a assignation like law enforcement or jailer, or you can go by the color of somebody's skin, or you can go by somebody's religious beliefs. But here's the thing. We have one commonality that that, that is irrefutable, which is we're we're all human beings. So we and we have a tendency to forget that. um, When I'm looking at um, when I'm listening to a story about a a physician um, that that has done something horribly wrong, or a nurse, you know, I, I, I don't focus. I'm focused on the event. Oh my God, how could they have done something that horrible? Or we hear the things in law enforcement. How could how you know police brutality, which is you know the big thing right now with everything that's going on, what we fail to see are the human beings. We see the victims. We see the humanity in them, but we, we tend not to look at the humanity in the perceived aggressor. Um, when you're talking about uh, the differences in race, you know, we're we're looking at the, the color of somebody's skin, but that's not who they are. It's not what they are. You go deeper, we all have that one commonality. We are all human beings. Now, in saying that that means that there are good eggs out there, and there are not good eggs out there. Right. There are bad eggs out there, because again, humanity is diverse.
0: And, and the, the truth is, if you judged me by the worst five minutes of my life, you would have a totally different perspective of me as an individual.
1: And I'm, yeah, so, and exactly. that's the my thing. My story, my own life story, is well, a prime example.
0: One of that. the things that I, I found, you know, when I graduated from police academy, Erica, I was sent to inner city Baltimore where it's high crime uh, the vast mm-hmm. majority of people are African American and it was the best thing that happened to me because yeah. I, I, you learn you don't view people by their appearance it's about hey what, what's going on what are the facts what did he do yeah. what did she do do I have to take action here or not and the rules were very simple it was very clear cut we treat everyone mm-hmm. with respect until they change the tone of the conversation that's it there's Absolutely. nothing else to it Um, So back to your career in law enforcement. After all this stuff, you graduated from the academy. Mm -hmm. You started at what agency?
1: Uh, Harker Heights in Central Texas. It's outside of the Clean Fort Hood area.
0: Okay. So it's a a suburban police department then?
1: Uh, Yeah. And and the unique thing about that police department, because of its location, and literally right there uh, with one of the largest military, I think it's the largest military installation in the free world, we had a microcosm of humanity again. We had people from the inner cities. We had people from you know farm country, USA. We we had every demographic you could possibly think of.
0: Would you say that you really enjoyed law enforcement in the beginning?
1: I, I think that's an understatement. Um, I I I was absolutely passionate about it. I, I loved interacting with the community. I. I loved stopping and, and, and talking with the kids. I, I loved it when I got that rapport to a point that citizens would flag me down just to tell me about their day or the kids walking home from school that would stop me and, you know, hey, you know, Officer Jordan, which was my last name back then, I I pulled my, my, my D up. Remember the last time I showed you I got a D and then this time I got a C and the, and the little things like that, that, that was just, yeah, that was so satisfying.
0: <laughs> but some parts of it were not? So satisfying.
1: Some parts of it were not. So, uh, law enforcement was a phenomenal career. I, I don't regret my time in service uh, to my community, but it came with a pretty heavy cost. It came with a heavy toll.
0: That's a, that's an understatement. I'll be honest with you, Erica. My wife, who I met years after retiring, and, and she knows a lot of what I went through and I retired a long time ago. I got hurt in a line of duty in a very violent situation and it almost cost me, the guy was trying to kill me, but I survived, multiple surgeries later, I was retired. So with everything that's going on now in the news, the protesting, the riots across the country, she is worried constantly and always asking me, and I appreciate this, she goes, are you okay? Are you doing all right? right?" And I do that with, I call up people I worked with, or guys, when I say guys, I mean men and women, I know a former retired police, and I say, how's your head? How are you doing? <laughs> right. And because it, it does, there is a very heavy toll inflicted on many of us.
1: Yeah, there is. And it's it's discouraging, again, it's kind of one of those words that's understated, but when you have absolutely sold yourself into the willingness to lay your life down for a complete stranger, you, you know, if you if you look at that um a little bit deeper, you know, you're willing to lay your life down for any, uh, anyone, anyone. Um, and so when members of the community push back and lump all law enforcement officers into, in this case, what we're dealing with right now, one or, or a few officers' actions, it's, it's, it's actually something that we call a mental health. It's a moral injury here I am, I'm willing to lay my life down, I'm willing, to, I'm willing to, not that I want to, and I'll do everything that I can not to, but I am willing to step into the line of fire to, to save someone else, which means that my my children lose their mom, my husband loses his wife, my parents lose their child. And so going into this particular career track, willing to do that and understanding that there may be an ultimate price—not that you want it—but it's a possibility that it exists. And then to have one officer or a handful or a, a small number of officers tarnish that badge, which which represents all all of those ideals.
0: When mm-hmm. when that happens, I get really really angry. The place to be online is our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. You'll get access to unique news articles, editorials, and so much more. That's Law Enforcement Today Radio Show on Facebook. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. All too often, we find ourselves getting asked, where can I find other great podcasts? Do you have any suggestions? Because of this, we decided to create our own network of podcasts here on Law Enforcement Today. You can access top podcasts about law enforcement on our website and free app. Head to letradioshow.com, click the Be Heard tab, and there you will find our network link where we will continue to add podcasts from first responders and more. Remember, that's letradioshow.com to find out more information about law enforcement today, our podcast network, And to download our free app, letradioshow.com. Return to our conversation with Erica. I made a conscious choice not to try to pronounce her last name. It's not a difficult name, but for some (laughs) reason, I'm like tripping all over it. Uh, Erica is a former (laughs) law enforcement officer, she's also a, a, a therapist and does a lot of work to help uh, with those substance abuse and coexisting mental health disorders, particularly with law enforcement, first responders, and military. I'll have her explain more about that in a moment. Before we went the break, Erica, you were talking about the moral injury. When an uh, officer, good, bad, indifferent, I don't know why they do the things they do sometimes, and I don't get into debates in the radio show about what other people do. Right. But when, when everybody lumps all police into this category, or these categories of such vague terms like police brutality, uh, yeah. and they don't have terms for when people try to kill me. Uh, that that right. term's never come up. But I wound up getting, I don't know how to describe it. It's its not, a, yes, it is, it's a very personal affront uh, when someone mm-hmm. says that. Uh, when I see what happened in Minnesota, I get, very angry at the officer involved I get very angry at the other officers are there and without getting specifics it is if they did something to harm another human being and then harm everybody else that's ever done this job
1: right they do they absolutely do they they tarnish the badge there, there's really no other way to put it and and it creates and, and ultimately um, can serve and does often serve as as the conduit for other members of of that community other members other people who wear that badge um, their lives have been taken uh, based on the actions of one particular officer during one particular incident now i understand that you know if you look at the history there's there's a lot more than just one officer but you know if you counterbalance that with the number of human beings that get into law enforcement to do good and they do good the numbers are skewed um, the way the media puts it out so you know something that I've said for years and years and years when, when somebody starts talking about police brutality this is what I think the general public often doesn't understand they're still at this this notion that we we protect one another well oh, that's yeah. not true
0: the thin um, blue line of silence nobody <laughs> yeah
1: nobody hates a bad officer more than a good one right You're well the other thing I bad, said it, you it, it, know?
0: Erica that makes absolutely no sense when you talk to people about it logically say so you mean, I would put the health, safety, and welfare of my family in jeopardy mm-hmm. to protect someone else that I don't like what they did. And when you say that, they go, well, I don't think you do that. Well, no. do you think I'm the exception to the rule, or do you think that everybody else is, is somehow different?
1: Yeah, so I mean, uh, people that get the, the, the people that get into law enforcement um, with the right intentions, and, and I, I, will, I, will, I will back this up until my last breath, they are the vast majority yeah so these are people that that are willing to lay their lives down um for for a complete stranger not that they want to but it's something that 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 they understand is is a potential outcome uh, and if it comes between themselves and a citizen in their community they're going to take that bullet you know it, it, the people that are that are speaking negatively toward law enforcement lumping everybody in those people are included in the people that we're willing to lay our lives down for. So to have somebody say you're a horrible person, you're a bad cop, you're, you know, you represent police brutality. And, and the other side of that conversation, that other human being is sitting there going, yeah, but I, I would lay my life down for you. Yeah, You're lumping me in with, you know, this guy that, you know, did not represent my badge, did not represent my profession. And, and, and in that instance, did not protect the members of his community. No.
0: Changing direction in the conversation, uh, I want to go to yeah. your story a bit. I know that in my career, part of what I struggled with was the amount of violence that I saw, and also the okay. amount of violence that was a, that directed towards me. And the times I had to be very violent, and when I did have to be very violent, was and I'm, I'm very fortunate. Everybody survived, but. Okay back to that moral injury i think i know that i changed um and i began to do things differently did that occur mm-hmm. to you
1: uh it did it absolutely did and i you know i most officers the vast majority of law enforcement officers um go through their entire career with without having to to fire their weapon. um and God bless every single one of them. My story was a little bit different in that, uh, you know, I'm here. I am. I'm 21 years old. I'm I'm as green as you can get. I'm I had literally just been cleared uh, from field training uh, and had got uh, got dispatched to my first call. I'm 21 years old. I'm thinking I'm going to go out and enforce traffic laws and you know drive around my shiny police car and make contact with citizens and. My first call out of field training ended up being an unknown disturbance, but, uh, unfortunately turned into a suicide by cop. So I, I really got pulled up short right there at the beginning of my career. I'll never forget, uh, one of the senior officers in my department, um, later that morning, because this, you don't, something like this doesn't just happen. And then you turn around and you go home, you're here at that police department for hours and hours and hours. And, um, I, I very distinctly remember him saying, this is, this is do or die for you, Eric. You're, you're either going to stick in this career or, or you're not if you can't hack it. And I chose to stick. I chose to stay. And then, you know, over the course of many, many years, I eventually uh, got myself into the position of being a juvenile detective, uh, which I absolutely loved because it gave me that opportunity to talk with Teenagers and parents, and um, I specialized in that for about eight years. So, cumulatively, over the course of that fourteen or fifteen years, um, I I dealt with everything: homicide, suicide, parents arguing and injuring uh, each other in front of children, children being hurt, um, children being sexually assaulted. That was, you know, if, you, if somebody was to ask me what I am most proud of. Uh, over the course of that 15 years that I served the city of Harker Heights. Uh, I'm most proud of the murderers that I put away. I'm most proud of the pedophiles that I put away. And I'm most proud of my ability to connect with uh, the victims that that I worked with, uh, to get them to tell their story on, on what happened and, and being able to get that justice for them. And being able to have contact with those kids that I had said so many years before, I want you to understand that you can be better than the circumstances that you came from. And that gave me the perfect platform to do that, but it created a lot more damage in, in my own mental health.
0: And how did you sword? cope with that?
1: Not very well. Um, so when I you know, first started, law enforcement itself did not create the term choir practice. Um, it actually came from uh, the author of a book However, we, especially back then, uh, things are changing, and we're much more enlightened now. But you know, choir practice was—you you you have this um, show, for lack of a a better phrase—you have a really difficult shift, and you finish the shift, and you go out and you you know um, knock back some drinks and talk about the talk about your family, and, and then go home. And and that combined with work hard, play hard, um, the only real coping mechanism that, that I or anybody else that I worked with really knew uh, was to go home and drink. And, and it progressed over the years.
0: That's mm-hmm. what happens. And- to paraphrase what you're saying, when we had really bad shifts, really bad things happened, the way we dealt with it was you get a six-pack or a couple six-packs or a case of mm-hmm. beer, get in a parking lot, yeah. drink beer, and talk and talk it over. And I always say this, that it wasn't a total failure. It helped. But the drinking became a monster in and of itself. We'll talk more about that in just a few moments. One of the questions I get all the time is, is how can I show my support for law enforcement? Well, we're all busy. You probably can't go to a protest march. You probably can't go picket somewhere. But there's something very simple you can do with Facebook. When you see a post that you agree with, that you like, share it to your page it's just that simple. Think of it this way. Facebook has about 2 billion registered users worldwide, so you can make a difference. And one of the best places to find great posts about law enforcement, our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Click like and follow. And when you see posts that you like, you agree with, especially if episodes of the Radio show and podcast. Be sure to share it on your social media. Again, do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Be sure to click like and follow. And then show your support by sharing. We return to our conversation with Erica, former law enforcement officer, now a therapist, counselor. This is the Law Enforcement Today Show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Finally. Finally. Our heroes have access to a world-class program for PTSD, anxiety, depression, and more. The Help for Our Heroes program at Transformations Treatment Center provides a comprehensive range of treatments for substance abuse, addiction, co-occurring mental health disorders, and PTSD. Plus, they offer complete treatment for mental health issues for those without substance abuse problems. Joining us on the phone from Texas, Erica. Erica's a former law enforcement officer, and the correct terminology I don't have in front of me, but she's a therapist, a counselor, helps first responders, law enforcement, uh, dealing with substance abuse issues, mental health disorders, PTSD, that sort of stuff. All very real, all very life threatening. Before winter break, Erica, we're talking about how many law enforcement officers, uh, myself included, alcohol became the only way to calm down at the end of a shift Mm -hmm. the only way to get to sleep and it became a problem for things like marriage intimacy relationship And it wasn't just alcohol it was everything that i was trying to self-medicate from without boring people the details that became what was once a solution became even a bigger part of the problem is that what happened with you
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it's something that I talk with clients about all the time. You know, if alcohol um, or or other addictive substances did not have some benefit, we we wouldn't return to them initially. So there was some benefit there. The fact of the matter was, um, by that time, uh, my law enforcement career had had already taken a, a toll. So I was a young single mother. I was divorced. This career meant everything to me. Several years went by. Um, I ended up getting remarried, uh, and, and and again one of those cornerstone conversations. Uh, my husband asked me, I come home from work. It, it had been a really difficult shift. You know, we we see the the ugliness. We see the ugly side of humanity almost, if not daily, almost every day. It's you you see just how badly one human being can treat another, and, and it does exact a toll. So. He asked me one time. I said, "Erica, why is it every time you come home from work now you you put your gear on the table and you put, you go into the backyard and and you drink?" And I'll never, I don't think I'll ever forget saying this because I didn't realize that truth until it came out of my mouth. I said, "To feel human again." That was my response. To feel human again. The problem with it was it was taking more and more and more alcohol to make me feel human again. And and there was there was a falsehood in that, which was it was really taking away at the same time i was i had an opportunity to to feel somewhat human again but it was taking away my ability to be a mother it was taking away my ability to be a wife and it began to erode my ability to serve the community that i had sworn to uphold and protect as well my own demons had gotten too large and there was really no amount of of liquid no amount of alcohol at that point that could that could tamp those down it had become bigger than me it had become I, I, at that point, I was full-blown alcoholic uh, with undiagnosed post-traumatic stress disorder. I had no idea that's what was going on. I just knew that when I drank, it seemed to fix some of the stuff going on between my ears. But toward the end, it, it it wasn't really fixing anything, and it created one of a swath of damage.
0: And unfortunately, what happens in a lot of situations like that is the other parts of the triad is the marriage falls apart and the career is in jeopardy. Is that what happened with you?
1: That's exactly what happened. Um, I, I began to do things that I had never done before. I was I was calling in uh, late, where I was calling in uh, sick. It, what started out as well, I would never have anything to drink past eight or eight thirty in the evening, um, became ten o'clock, became midnight, became two and three o'clock in the morning. So I, I actually it took me about six months uh, to work up the courage. Um, I knew I needed help. I knew that this thing had gotten way larger than me. Um, I'm a very determined individual, but at this point I had lost control over drinking uh, and went to my chief and, and, and told him, you know, um, I'm drinking too much. I don't know what's going on. I went to my family physician. I was, I was given a pill. That didn't help. Um, I, I pretty much knew when I walked into the chief's office, and again, if you put that in context, this was before people were really talking about first responders and addiction or mental health issues. But I said to him, I'm drinking too much, and and I don't know how to stop it. And it it was met with deaf ears. I'm not going to go into the details. It's not important. What was important was I walked out of that office feeling completely misunderstood, completely alone, completely hurt um, that my profession wasn't there for me the way I thought they would. Not that I thought they were going to overlook my problems, I I thought that that somehow going to the chief was going to begin to fix them so I could get back on track. I was humiliated. There's a a part in uh, my story where, you know, I had had become a pariah in my department at that point. Again, this kind of goes back to nobody hates a bad cop more than a good cop. The problem was I wasn't a bad cop. I was a sick cop. I was a mentally sick, unhealthy human being. And it had begun to color my ability to perform my duties. So nobody could hate me more than I hated myself at that point. Um, It got to the point that I was suicidal. Thank God. (laughs) I did not pull the trigger, but um, I, on more than one occasion, uh, danced with the devil with that.
0: And that happens so often. It's alarming, the amount of officers who end their life by suicide.
1: It is well. Some, you know, something I guess maybe the general public doesn't doesn't maybe realize, but we certainly do. People that are that are in these these circles of, of people is that we lose more officers to suicide every year than we do line of duty deaths, and that's inexcusable. We've got to do better. Um, it's you know I, I ended up 12 years as an active alcoholic. I left my department. Um, I did not have a choice. My actions um, determined to be end of my career. I uh, ended up. Over the course of 12 years, um, I actually walked into my first AA meeting. I was still a Harker Heights police officer. I went to the city over. I had looked it up on, looked it up in the phone book, if that tells you how long ago this was, and just remember sitting there scanning the crowd inside this meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, going, "My God, have I hooked any of these people up? Are they going to recognize me?" Uh, I, I was terrified. So. My my addiction and the post-traumatic stress disorder feeding into that uh, brought me eventually to a place of homelessness. Over the course of that 12 years, I went to one, two, three treatment centers that were inpatient. They did not specialize in first responder treatment. And each time I thought these people, they they don't really understand what I'm going through. There was a a very, again, one of those cornerstone conversations. It was a counselor actually in the very first treatment center that I went to with his white start shirt and his black tie sitting across the desk. And he said, tell me about one of your more traumatic calls. And so I did. And it involved an in, uh, an infant and, and an autopsy that I ended up having to go to uh, for that infant. And I remember him looking at me. There was this long pause after I told him what I had been through, what I had seen and experienced. And he, he put his pen down on the desk and he steepled his hands. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but he steepled. He looked at me and he kind of shook his head up and down and he goes, well, that's really unfortunate. <laughs> I thought you don't have a clue you don't you don't have uh, a clue so and, and unfortunately, I think that, most that most
0: don't and they they're so well intended that's the thing they are i can talk with other cops and we can we can have an understanding in a matter of moments because both of us have been through the same thing and it doesn't matter gender race doesn't matter we have that understanding from coming from a similar background Uh, We're going to have to have you back on the show again in the future to talk more about, I think it's fascinating, uh, going from law enforcement career to homelessness to recovery. Uh, But unfortunately, Mm -hmm. we are close to the end of time. And I I want people to get an understanding. uh, You got sober, you got in recovery quite a while ago. And and now what are you doing? Um,
1: So I I got sober at a homeless women's shelter. Um, interestingly enough, it was run by a lady that was a, a convicted felon, uh, but she was on fire for 12-step programming and recovery and had done very well in her own life uh, moving forward. She was a human being, and she taught me um, the things that I needed to do to, to get my own stuff straight and get into recovery. Um, about a year and a half into recovery, I decided to go back to school uh, to be the change that I had fought in others. Um, I, I knew that there, there was... There wasn't a lot of, of room for, for first responders to have a voice, and there wasn't a lot of room for discussion around treatment and healing. So, about a year and a half in, I decided to go back to school. I got a bachelor's degree, then I got my master's in social work um, because I wanted to do, I wanted to specialize in first responder mental health and, and uh, Substance abuse treatment.
0: Well, thank you for um, doing that. I want to thank you for your service as well in the police right. department. Before we leave, uh, where can people get more information about you and get in touch with you?
1: Uh, so, I am a therapist at Warriors Heart. We are a treatment center in Bandera, Texas. We're just outside of San Antonio. They can reach me through our switch line, which is uh 830 225 1622. It's a treatment center that specializes only in the treatment of warriors, first responders, and military veterans. We, we do not accept, or if you, you don't have to be active duty either. If you have a background in, in either of those, uh, we, we do not, we're not a are The entire facility is dedicated to the treatment of first responders and military veterans. We understand the culture. We understand the difficulties that are unique to these professions, I wish this place would have existed when I first started trying to get sober, but everything happens for a reason, based on 12-step programming, so yeah.
0: Thanks so much for being a guest on the show, and thanks for all you do. My pleasure. If you've missed past episodes of the Law Enforcement Today radio show... Never fear. You can listen to them online as a podcast. Just go to our website, letradioshow.com, where you'll find all the podcast episodes and much more. That's letradioshow.com. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today show. We've got another great guest in your way next week. Don't miss it. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya.